standing over there feeling a little bit nervous and thinking that I want to be stickerless. <laughs> that would be the dream. <laughs> yes. Um, can I say a prayer? No, would I? Would you like someone else to say a prayer? Yes, you please. <laughs> you say a prayer. Thank you. God, I just want to thank you for for Jess and um, the words behind would say some small courage. And I I just have experienced a great courage in Jess over the last months. God, so I pray that you would just infill her with a clear sense of your presence and your leading, and also with the knowledge um, that she is loved in and by this community. Speak to our hearts, God. So today is February 19th. It's um, the last Sunday of Epiphany, uh, Transfiguration Sunday, also known as that, which I'm not going to talk about at all, but I'm just saying because next Sunday will be in the season of Lent, and midway through this week, Lent begins on Wednesday, the 22nd. Um, for those who follow that tradition, you can eat your pancakes on Tuesday. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so. So that's next week. Uh, but we began this year with an invitation to spend time engaging with a poem titled God's Dream by Charles Piguet, Peggy Piggy, with the intention to let that poem and the ideas that emerged through it provide an overarching theme in this season for our community. So today I've decided to zoom in on three words from the poem itself that has captured my attention. You see them behind me some small courage. Um, but first, <clears throat> for context um, and a refresher, here's how the poem frames these words for us. It reads, the Lord God said, I myself will dream a dream within you. Good dreaming comes from me, you know. My dreams seem impossible, not too practical, nor for the cautious man or woman. A little risky sometimes, a trifle brash perhaps. Some of my friends prefer to rest more comfortably in sounder sleep with visionless eyes. But from those who share my dreams, I ask a little patience, a little humor, some small courage, and a listening heart. I will do the rest. That's not the whole poem, but it's where we'll stop for now. So some small courage. Um, last week, Rachel talked about listening in community, and <clears throat> um, she talked about some of the ways that this church has modeled that over the years, one being um, what you call a side hustle, um, <laughs> discernment prayer. And um, speaking of our elders, um, you mentioned how Peter would explain the posture of this practice in this community, which was like this. Uh, we have no great confidence that any one of us can hear or speak a clear word from God. But we are confident that the Spirit breathes through a community that takes the time to listen and care. So I love this um, as an entry point into considering God's dream, something so bold as God's dream. Because for me, it's a posture that centers humility um, and maybe that's just the baggage I carry from my evangelical roots, but 
I'm aware that all kinds of harm has been done by people believing they are on God's side of something. So humility feels like a good place to begin. <clears throat> um, this month I've been participating in the Life Witness group. A few of us have been in that Walter's facilitating. Um, and it's been really sweet to spend time with a new group of people, um, both listening to each other and reflecting on our own lives, memories, and experiences. That's mostly what we're doing. Um, and a part of the process is to consider the moments that shaped both our sense of identity and vocation or calling. So I wanted to bring this idea of identity and calling into our awareness as we think about God's dream for us because I know it's been shaping my own thoughts about it, and I think it's where it begins. Um, so when I say God's dream for us, and as we consider that idea together, know that this us can be both collective and individual. So you might think of it as an invitation to consider God's dream for you personally, um, or God's dream for St. Croix Church, or St. Stephen, or the whole world, all of the above. <clears throat> Whatever makes the most sense to you in this moment of your life. But in starting with identi identity, I do want us to consider how God's dream and our lives are inextricably intertwined. Um, so I'm going to share three quotes that came to mind when thinking about this. And I'm using all three because I liked them all. <laughs> and I think they complement each other well. Um, so the first is by Martin Buber in I and Thou, he writes this, that you need God more than anything, you know at all times in your heart. But don't you know also that God needs you in the fullness of his eternity, you? How would man or woman exist if God did not need them? And how would you exist? You need God in order to be, and God needs you for that which is the meaning of your life. The next, the next one is this, by Howard Thurman. <coughs> Don't ask yourself what the world needs, ask yourself what makes you come alive, and then go do that. Because what the world needs is people who have come alive. And then the last one is by Cole Arthur Riley in This Here Flesh. She writes, I've accepted that the whole of my life will be a pilgrimage toward the sound of the genuine in me. This may sound troubling to those who've been conditioned to believe that our journey is to God and God alone, but I say the two paths are one. My journey to the truth of God cannot be parsed from my journey to the truth of who I am. So, <clears throat> when it comes to identity, um, I would say that the last couple of months and perhaps even years, have required a new kind of grappling with identity for me. Um, moving to a new town in the middle of a pandemic made it difficult to discover myself in this new place. And it's not that um, I didn't know myself, but I didn't know myself here with you just yet. Um, and I knew that that would take time, perhaps a little patience, but I also think this is a true experience of the pandemic in general, that the loss of community or roles and relationships disrupted how we knew and experienced ourselves in the world. And I think we are still coming out of that space <coughs> together, the, 
people I talk to are. Um, our individual and communal identities have been impacted. And as we're re-emerging, uh, perhaps we're asking the question, who are we now? Um, I promise I'm not trying to evoke extreme existential dread, but I, I figure that if I'm feeling some of this, others might be too. Um, so for me, and perhaps for you in some ways too, the Fitch's retirement and these church transitions has meant a season of letting go, of grieving, accepting, and adjusting to change. Um, and to be honest, I thought that would be the main adjustment of this year for me, and I thought that would be hard enough. Um, and then in the middle of January, SSU <coughs> made the difficult decision to suspend its undergraduate program, which has all kinds of implications for this community, um, particularly for those who have spent much of their lives working in both places. Um, and there are also many of us here uh, who have moved to St. Stephen because we came to be students at the university or to work there at some point in our lives. Um, it's been a place of formation, perhaps where we discovered important parts of ourselves, a place that awakened a dream and that helped nurture the things inside us that make us come alive. And I know that doesn't include all of us here, um, but I trust that most of us, if we are fortunate, have encountered important communities of meaning at some point in our lives. And um, when we begin to lose them, that loss is deep. So, surely, all of this has impacted the way I'm processing this poem right now. And for me, what's come to the surface is how vulnerable it is to dream. Um, the Lord God said, I myself will dream a dream within you. In a Christmas sermon this year, my friend Beth pointed out that the word vulnerable comes from the Latin word for wound. Vulnerability, she says, leaves us open to being wounded. But this vulnerability is not unlike what is modeled through a God who is willing to become dependent on human flesh for survival, which is what God did in Mary's womb. God became flesh dependent on flesh. God became vulnerable like us. And if God is vulnerable, God's dream is vulnerable too. Um, so I grew up separated from my parents at a young age, and uh, they struggled with addictions their whole lives, and they spent, so I spent most of my childhood um, separated from them. They were in prison for reasons related to those addictions. Um, but I grew up believing that one day they would come back for me, particularly my mother. My mom would come back for me. This was my dream. I fantasized about it, I could see it in my imagination, and every night I prayed this prayer out loud before I went to sleep. It was embedded in a larger prayer, but in my heart it was the one that mattered most. God, please help my mom to get better so she could come back for me. 
I didn't just pray for this. I wished for it too. Every time I blew puffy tops off a dandelion or threw a penny in water or closed my eyes to make a birthday wish, I had one. I wouldn't let myself wish for anything else. And eventually I grew old enough to recognize that my prayer would go unanswered. My dream was a vulnerable dream. And I share this story because I know it shaped me and my relationship my relationship with dreams and prayer, and that the traumas of my past continue to impact me. And I know you have stories like this too. Um, and maybe this is one reason the poet speaks of courage to the dreamers. Author and researcher Brene Brown says, there is no such thing as courage without vulnerability. And in her Christmas sermon, Beth, goes on to say that, quote, the hard truth is that vulnerability is the avenue for wounding, but it is also the avenue for our healing. After taking the time we need to rebuild trust, we need to open ourselves up again, risking making ourselves accessible to God and to community to allow our healing to happen. So I wanna pause there. Um, and I'd like to hear from you, um, either just to respond to what's been said so far or to offer a thought about the kind of courage that comes to mind when you think of participating in God's dream within you. So I'll just pause and see if anything <laughs> rises up in you to be shared. Not sure what to do with this, but it's reminding me of uh, a book that Philip Yancey wrote a number of years ago called Disappointment with God. Mm -hmm. And how so many people had some dream or idea that had to come true, or else God was not real mm -hmm. for them. Mm -hmm. And how disappointing it is that teaching sometimes is given that expectation mm -hmm. that God is obligated to give us what we want. And how many people mm -hmm. crashed and burned because it didn't come true. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Okay. I think I can feel in my body when a dream is real 
when like it's given to me and I go, ah, I don't want that. <laughs> Why did you give me that? Um, because there's, a, there's an immediate like fear, resistance, like, I don't know, if I, if I really take that, like, because I know I want it, um, then I have to, then I have to accept the fact that if it doesn't happen, that it's going to hurt. And that often is, and I think courage for me often is having that reaction and like literally walking forward going, ah, the entire time. Running toward the danger, is that what was in the um, Celtic service, one of the readings today said that? Yes, Pete. It's hard to uh, understand all that to perish. It's awful hard to understand. small courage. <laughs> I have a few more thoughts. Quite a few, so. I don't know why the poet put it this way, um, but it reminds me of Jesus claiming that we can move mountains with the faith of a mustard seed. It only takes a little. Um, or that we can feed thousands when a few loaves and fish are shared among us. Um, God makes God's dream accessible to us, and God's grace is sufficient. Perhaps some small courage is all it takes, because courage is never small. Courage is knowing our fear, our vulnerability, our weaknesses, and still responding to that dream inside us that calls on us to show up anyway, however we can. Um, so, 
February is Black History Month, and um, and uh, so that's the month um, in the year when the lives and contributions of Black Americans and Canadians are remembered and celebrated. And as I've reflected on the history of Black people in North America, in particular this month, and thought about God's dream for humanity, um, I've been deeply moved by so many of the voices and experiences of Black activists and authors and theologians and, and storytellers from the past and present. Um, all who pursued and continued and continue to pursue a dream. Among them, of course, is Martin Luther King Jr., whose life and words continue to shape and inform and inspire so many of us today. Um, so I'm going to read a section from his I Have a Dream speech that was given at the March on Washington for Jobs and Freedom on August 28th in 1963. Um, and as I read a part of this speech, I just want us to allow what we know about black history to be in the room with us and to consider the courageous vulnerability of Martin Luther King expressing the dream in his heart, which is surely the dream of God's heart. So Martin Luther King, now is the time to make real the promises of democracy. Now is the time to rise from the dark and desolate valley of segregation to the sunlit path of racial justice. Now is the time to lift our nation from the quicksands of racial injustice to the solid rock of brotherhood. Now is the time to make justice a reality for all of God's children. So even though we face the difficulties of today and tomorrow, I still have a dream. It is a dream deeply rooted in the American dream. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men and women are created equal. I have a dream that one day on the red hills of Georgia, the son of former slaves and the son of former slave owners will be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood. I have a dream that one day every valley shall be exalted, every hill and mountain shall be made low. The rough places will be made plain and the crooked paths will be made straight and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. This is our hope. This is the faith that I go back to the South with. With this faith, we will be able to hew out of the mountain of despair a stone of hope. With this faith, we will be able to transform the jangling discords of our nation into a beautiful symphony of brotherhood. With this faith, we will be able to work together, to pray together, to struggle together, to go to jail together, to stand up for freedom together, knowing that we will be free one day. So Martin Luther King imagined a world that didn't exist yet. And he believed his children and his children's children would get to live into that new reality. And of course, we know that while the world has changed, the world is still struggling to realize this dream. God's dream, Martin Luther King's dream, continues to be vulnerable and dependent on actual people living in the world.
And the loss of black lives in America because of racism and hate is devastating. And Martin Luther's King dream lives on. It's not lost. It's still a dream worth dreaming. Um, another example of this kind of courageous vulnerability um, I experienced um, in watching the film Till with a group at SSU this last week. Um, it's the, a film about the true story of Mammy Till Mobley's pursuit of justice for her 14-year-old son, Emmett Till, uh, who was lynched while visiting his cousins in Mississippi in 1955. And after the murder of her son, Nami became a leading educator and activist in the civil rights movement. And in a speech at the end of the film, which is a real quote of hers, Nami said this. She said, two months ago, I had a nice apartment in Chicago. I had a good job. I had a son. When something happened to the Negroes in the South, I said, that's their business, not mine. Now I know how wrong I was. The murder of my son has shown me that what happens to any of us anywhere in the world had better be the business of us all. I think um, that this kind of care and solidarity for the suffering of the world, particularly the most vulnerable, so the poor, the marginalized, and the oppressed, is exactly what Jesus came to reveal to us about who God is and what God's dream continues to be. And the invitation to participate in this dream is wide open to every one of us. Um, it takes some small courage. I don't know if you noticed this picture <laughs> or looked closely at it, but uh, it's me on a zip line at Cape and Ridge the summer before last. Um, I went on the zip line because I wanted my teenage kids to be assured that it was safe, or I wanted to assure myself it was safe. <laughs> um, so I just wanted to point out that I'm not comfortable up there, <laughs> which is why I use this picture. It's not to brag, but to point out that I am holding on as if that grip is the thing that is keeping me safe. <laughs> Uh, and I've seen people zip line differently with their hands <laughs> held up in the air. <laughs> um, uh, but as it turns out, I needed to hold on like that. So I just wanted to say that that's okay. Um, this is how I'm getting through these days. And uh, so some small courage, if that's what we have, that's what it takes. And that's all. Have a wonderful Sunday. Thank you. Have a great week. <laughs>